Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Let's Talk All Things LGBTQ+, where everyone has a voice. I'm Annie McKinnon, an authenticity coach, therapist, speaker, writer and podcaster. And if you would like to get to know me a little bit better, visit my website www.coachingcart.com and if you would like to get in touch or even feature on the show, then please send me over an email to info at coachingcart.com. And I will, of course, as always, put those details below. I would also be really grateful if you could rate the show so that we can get these amazing conversations out to as many people as possible. But let's crack on. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Jeannie Gainsbourg. Jeannie is an award-winning educational trainer and consultant in the field of LGBTQ plus inclusion and effective allyship. Read below for Jeannie's full bio, but let's get started. Let me introduce you to Jeannie. Welcome to the show, Jeannie. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, happy to have you here. Now, before we kick into the main recording, I'd like to ask you a question that I ask all my guests. And that is, what would your younger self think of who and where you are now? Uh, I imagine she'd be a little confused. Um, <laughs> the, the word ally, um, certainly in, an, in a social justice framework, was not something that was on my radar as a child. So I think she would be very confused about what I do. Um, I suspect that she would have a lot of stereotypes, which is very common for people. She probably would assume that either I'm part of the LGBTQ plus communities or uh, one of my children is, or a very close friend. And uh, that's not true, actually. Um, so uh, I think there'd be some confusion, but in the long run, once she once she got there and figured out what exactly I do and why, I think she'd probably be pretty pleased. And I'm really curious to find out more about this. You know, you've written the Savvy Ally what compelled you to write that? Mm, well, it was a long journey. Um, I, I, I guess I sort of had an inspirational moment one evening um, while reading a book that my husband had given me. It was about the um, the fight for uh, my right to vote as a woman in the United States, and I was reading that bit of history and thinking about how I would have behaved if I had lived back then. I don't know if you do do this, but I'm always. <laughs> always doing that, putting myself back there and thinking. And I had convinced myself that I'd be marching right alongside all those amazing women. Um, and I, I suddenly realized how hypocritical that was. You know, I, I'm I'm living in a lifetime right now that has a lot of social justice movements going on, and I hadn't done anything. And it was such a, such a strong thing that, you know, it really hit me so strongly that in the morning I was still thinking about it. I always felt strongly about LGBTQ plus inclusion, um, never really had a strong connection to the community. So that was definitely a, a barrier for me um, that I, I had put up thinking I wouldn't be welcome as an ally. Um, but I, I ended up looking up the word gay in the phone book. This is how far back this was. This was 20 years ago, the, the phone book. Um, and I looked up the word gay and found our local agency here in upstate New York, Rochester, New York. Uh, and at the time it was called the Gay Alliance. So I found it very easily. I called and asked if I could volunteer. I volunteered there for two years. They hired me after that, and I stayed on that agency for a total of 15 years, so 13 years as staff. 
Um, my final five years there, I was the education director, which put me in charge of all of the educational programming. Um, and by the time I left that organization, I had such an amazing wealth of information in my head about how to be an ally that I, it, it truly was the book that I wanted when I started as an ally, because I knew nothing about the LGBTQ plus communities. I wanted a book that, a guidebook that told me what to say, what not to say, you know, how to not be offensive. Um, just, I couldn't find that book anywhere. And so I wrote it. Um, it's called The Savvy Ally. The original book came out in uh, March, 2020, a terrible time to launch your first book, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> March 12th, 2020, if you can picture that. I get that. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> So it had, a, it had a bit of a slow start. People had other things on their mind mm. um, other than LGBTQ plus inclusion and effective allyship. But the book did well enough eventually that my publisher wanted a second edition. Um, and that just came out, wow, like less than two weeks ago. Second edition just came out. I'm very excited about it. Congratulations. That's really awesome. So what can we expect from the book? Well, it is a guidebook on how to be an ally. So all sorts of goodies. Um, what what you can't expect, I'll start with what you can't expect from my book. It's not a book that's out there to convince anyone to be an ally. If you pick up my book, I expect that you're already on board with LGBTQ plus inclusion. And the reason I say that is there's a lot of great books out there with stories of sort of, you know, LGBTQ plus experiences, why to get involved. Um, my book, I really wanted it to be 100% tools, you know, stuff you can do. Um, so it's basically, I've kind of done the work for you. Anyone who's thinking like, I can't keep up with all the words and the terms. I don't understand pronouns and how to use them. What's up with singular they? Um, you know, it helps walk people through LGBTQ plus etiquette, um, pronouns, how to use them, how to ask for them respectfully. Um, it talks about creating inclusive spaces. So in the workplace, in schools, um, what are some sort of bigger picture advocacy things that I can work towards? Um, I have a whole chapter on, I call Good Talk, which is how do we have effective conversations with people who think differently than we do? Um, so just kind of anything I could think about as far as allyship, which is of course very broad. If you think about being an ally, what that means, um, I just wanted to give people those tools and I was thrilled to have the opportunity to update it because, you know, after three years it, it needed some updating. So. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and I, <laughs> I'm personally, and I'm sure our listeners will be really, really curious to really, I suppose, knuckle down those pronouns because there's so much talk of it at the moment isn't there uh, and people are are confused even within the community because they're coming out so fast so maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that and and give us some education on the best language you know what what is the language that we need to be using Sure. And actually, I love that you said even people within the community. I think that's yeah. such an important point. Um, one of the things I talk about early on in my book is that I define ally broadly. You know, when we think about an LGBTQ plus framework and we think about an ally, we tend to think about people like myself who are straight and cisgender, not part mm -hmm. of the LGBTQ plus communities. But, you know, I talk to cisgender lesbians who were like, I don't know anything about, you know, <laughs> about the trans communities or you know, even if you're like a white transgender man, you can be an ally to trans women of color who are victimized and marginalized in, in much different ways. So even if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community and you're listening to this podcast, which I imagine is probably a large group, a population of folks, 
um, please know that this word of ally applies to you too. We all have a role that we can play for others. Um, so I really, I really appreciated you saying that, Annie. Um, so, so one of my favorite tips about pronouns, I think that, um, oh, I've, I've got so many goodies. I don't know what to pick actually, but one of the things I realized. Well, tell us it all. I mean, yeah. that's exciting. <laughs> it's almost like, yeah, eventually we'll find out you know, yeah. that this list of pronouns and, and how we should be addressing people. So yes. yeah, tell so, us as much as you can. I think I'll talk about what motivated me to really focus in on, on pronouns. A whole, I have a whole chapter on pronouns. Um, I think that I'll, I'll give you two things. One is people think of pronouns as a transgender issue. I always giggle a little bit when people are like, can you talk about the importance of pronouns? And I'm like, what pro <laughs> Well, pronouns are important to all of us. Like just try going an hour without using a pronoun. Um, you know, it's funny. People just assume that this is, you know, pronouns didn't exist before transgender people or just all sorts of weird things. When of course, those of us who move through the world like myself and our, the correct pronoun is used for us all the time, we absolutely are oblivious to the fact that pronouns are important for us. You know, we'd, we'd be very aware of how pronouns are important to us if people always use the wrong pronoun for us, right? That would be very uncomfortable, but we sure. move through the world in comfort and we forget or just don't even realize that pronouns are important. Um, so I like to talk about how there are trans folks, for example, who move through the world and they never get misgendered. The correct pronoun is always chosen for them. There are cisgender people who move through the world and they get misgendered all the time, right? Yeah. Um, I recently heard Abby Wambach talking about on on, their, her podcast with her wife, Glennon Doyle, which I love, um, We Can Do Hard Things. You know, uh, Abby Wambach, a, a cisgender woman, was talking about how she's constantly being served and asked to, you know, is she in the right restroom and had the wrong have the wrong pronouns? She's not a transgender woman and she gets misgendered constantly. So I think that's really important to remember that this isn't a transgender issue or something that suddenly just happened because more people are are out about being transgender. Um, but one of the things that I realized as I was writing that chapter is that we talk so much about gathering pronouns and how that's a respectful thing to do. I don't think anywhere have I seen tools for people on how to do that without, <laughs> without making it super awkward. I mean, I don't think once in my life ever have I walked up to someone and said, what are your pronouns? I actually think it's really intrusive. Mm. And there are good reasons why people might not want to share their pronouns. And we really need to respect that. So one of the tools that I offer people, I walk through different scenarios, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, small group, um, casual conversation with someone you're never going to meet again versus uh, someone you're going to have a relationship with later, a large group. And what are the best ways to what I like to say is give everyone the opportunity to share their pronouns if they'd like to. So it kind of moves away from the ask. Um, if we get right down to the, the ask, if we're ever in a situation where we feel like we actually have to ask, like our other efforts haven't panned out. And by other efforts, I mean like truly the best way to do this is to offer everyone the opportunity. So create systems where Maybe it's on your forms or maybe it's, you know, as you sort of introduce people, allow everyone to share their pronouns rather than singling people out is really ideal. But if you're ever in a situation, and I occasionally am, where I feel like I, I kind of need to ask this person, um, I never ask directly. I do two things. One is I share my pronouns first. Um, it feels a little bit to me like when I need someone's cell phone number, I never say like, what's your cell phone number? I say, here's my cell phone number. Would you mind sharing yours? 
here's some information. So I do the same with pronouns. And then I also never ask directly. I tend to use the phrase, how may I refer to you? Because it gives the person an out. So the whole thing sounds like I'm Jeannie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. How may I refer to you? Um, I've just mirrored what I'm looking for by sharing my pronouns. But if the person doesn't feel comfortable sharing, they can simply just offer up their name. And I think that's better than directly saying, what are your pronouns and putting people on the spot. So those are just a few of the many tips in my chapter. <laughs> Excited to read it. So, I mean, I think uh, most people now are, are familiar with the they, them, theirs, but I understand there's new pronouns coming through all the time. Can you share what some of those are? Sure. Um, so some of the most common ones I've he heard, at least here in the U.S., I think Z is probably the next most common. Um, they're called neo-pronouns. So let me talk a little bit about that. There's two types of gender-neutral pronouns. There's singular they and there are neo-pronouns. Singular they is not considered a neo-pronoun because it's now um, officially accepted in the English language, meaning it's actually been added to the dictionary, to several dictionaries, as a pronoun for a single person. Neo-pronoun, obviously neo meaning new, um, is means that it's a pronoun that hasn't officially been accepted into a language. So you're not going to find it in the dictionary. So that's, you know, so, so singular they is kind of in its own category. And then you've got uh, all of these neo-pronouns, which you're not going to find in the dictionary. Z is probably the most common one in the U.S. I've heard per, um, I've heard co- um, if you if you Google this, you're going to get a list of over 100. Um, and I, I don't necessarily recommend doing that, um, not because I, I don't think that allies should be aware. I think, of course, allies need to be aware and knowledgeable. But I don't think that's a savvy ally action to memorize an enormous list of pronouns that you may never even come in contact with. Um, the way that I think is the, the best way to navigate neo-pronouns um, is to wait until you've met someone or you have someone in your life who uses that pronoun. Then that's time to go into your homework and practice it. Um, and there's a great online tool called um, Practice with Pronouns, if anyone's interested. So if you, you've got like a new person in your life, a coworker who's using Z and you're like, oh, wow, I don't know how to conjugate this and use this in a sentence, um, that, that practicewithpronouns.com website actually will help you. You put your pronoun in and you fill them in in sentences. And the, the sentences are super, super goofy and fun too. They're not boring. So they'll keep you entertained. Um, but that's a great tool. Um, so once you have someone, then that's when you go and practice. I think that's really the best way to do mm. it. Um, I know the Trevor Project recently did a survey with youth Mm -hmm. and asked about the frequency of neo-pronoun use. And um, what they found is that the vast majority of um, folks, especially youth, at least in the United States, are using singular they. That one has really taken hold in the U.S. and many other countries, too, I realize, um, as the most common gender-neutral pronoun that you're going to run up, that you're going to experience. So neo-pronouns are much less common. Mm. Um so I like to educate on them, but I also don't like people to get like like frightened and overwhelmed by them. I, I really want people to be having conversations and not not frightened away from them. So yeah, and I think that's, that's just... really good advice because people that I speak to, there it feels like there's a pressure to know, and that yes. there's also a pressure if they if they mess up if they make a mistake. So instead yes. of communicating with a person they'll avoid that person because they've got that fear of messing up. What yeah. advice would you give to people that are in that situation? 
Um, I like to tell people that being an ally is an ongoing journey of messing up. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> life in general? Isn't life for in all general? of us? I mean, I'm absolutely serious. We we need to embrace the fact that we are going to mess up. That it's part of the process. That we're going to you know put in the work to get it right the next time, and then we're going to mess up again. And that is just like love it, embrace it. You know, forgive yourself. Um, I talk about, I have a whole chapter in my second edition on messing up. I call it messing up properly. Um, oh, I like that. Like how to walk, <laughs> if, you, if you're going to mess up, through. may as well do it right. <laughs> yes. So, um, typically it looks like, you know, offering an appropriate apology and I, I share what that might look like. And I think an appropriate apology is different depending on your offense. But if, since we're talking about pronouns, we'll, I'll just focus on that one. If you actually by accident use the wrong pronoun for someone, um, just a simple like, oh, thank you for the reminder or um, a quick excuse me um, or I'm sorry is great. Um, I like to say that it's similar to bumping into a stranger on the street, whereas you're probably not going to walk by without saying anything because that's rude. Um, but you're also not going to like, you know, oh my gosh, I am so, so sorry. And like sob on this person's shoes, right? It's just going to be a very quick, like, oh, excuse me. Um, and that's the same with, if you've misgendered someone, um, very intentionally, because we tend to over apologize because we feel so badly. And I think there are two problems with that. One is it draws a lot of attention to your mistake. And the person might not want that much attention on that mistake. Um, and secondly, sometimes we can make such a fuss, an impressive fuss over our mistake that the person we just messed up with is now trying to make us feel better. It's like, wait a minute. That Why is, is this so true. about me? This is bad. Um, so even if it's not your instinct, just a very quick, excuse me, or I'm sorry, or even a thank you. I know some folks just say they'd like people to just say thank you and then move on. Um, and then, you know, work towards getting it right the next time. And I do offer some tips in my book about how to get pronouns and names right the next time if you're sort of continuing to mess up. A few of my favorites are adding pronouns to your phone contacts for a person so that every time they call or text you, you're getting that immediately that immediate reminder um, that that um, person uses that pronoun. I know for singular they, I've got a lot of friends who use singular they, and they offered me this tip, which I used and love. Um, I They actually recommended that I practice on my pet. Um, I have a cat named Carlos. I think he uses he, him pronouns. Who the heck knows? Um, but for a while, I was referring to Carlos using they, um, as in, where are they? I just fed them their food. Aren't they hungry? I got so good at it. And Carlos did not seem to mind as long as I remember to feed him on time. <laughs> so, so a so, bit of practice and yes. a bit of uh, taking the pressure off ourselves by over apologizing. Just, yeah. you know, thank you for letting me know. Move on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so this uh, book sounds like it's just jam packed full of, of information. What else have you got for us? It really is. It's really chock full. Um, so so the I, I have it broken into parts. The very first part is um becoming knowledgeable allies. So it's, you know, um, um stuff I'm sure you're very familiar with. I talk a little bit about the coming out process. I define some words, I talk about the enormous initialism, LGBTQ plus, et cetera, why you'll see different, you know, um types, why you'll see different initialisms and, you know, what's the correct one. And of course there is no correct one. Yeah. Cause um, of course the LGBTQ plus acronym is just seems to be, you know, increasing and increasing. Yes. 
as as more letters and more letters that I did, which I have to say I find just totally confusing. I couldn't yes. even begin to remember, you know, all, all of them. And I'm I'm sure most people are feeling that way. Yes. So I talk about that as well, sort of the evolution of the um, the whole initialism. Um, I talk about the coming out process, the difference between sex and gender and orientation and all those things mm. that tend to get confused and conflated. Because that is um, a big one, isn't it? The difference between sex and gender. Yes, people get very confused about that. Um, the second section is all basically um, respectful language tips. So that's like, that'll be like your, your etiquette. I, I talk about common bloopers. I talk about how to have respectful conversations with folks. The third section is creating those inclusive spaces. And then the final section, which I've actually never seen in any other book for allies is about sustainability. Like how do we add this to our lives in ways that will, that are, that's sustainable rather than having this you know, huge excitement over being an ally and, you know, putting all this energy into it and all this time and then kind of burning out or being disillusioned. Um, and I've never really seen that, but I think sustainability is so truly critical for allies. If, if this is going to be something that you want to be dedicated um, to for your life, um, I think it's really fair to give allies the tools to uh, figure out how to do that well. Mm. I'm always a little disheartened when I see, I don't know if you're seeing this where you are, but I'm always a little disheartened when I see comments like allies don't get to take breaks. Um, being an ally is a 24 seven, you know, job. And I'm like, really? So, you know, like, so if I have a dying parent who I'm caring for, I can't take any time off. For, you know, it's like, who, like, who would sign up for this job? I'm sorry. Like, let's be a little forgiving and patient and figure out ways that this will work in our lives. Um, I, uh, you know, I just think that we need to really think that through, um, mm. or we will, we will get disillusioned and burned out and, and, and maybe even bitter for being told mm. that we don't get to take a break ever. Wow. <laughs> That's <laughs> astonishing, really. I've never, I've never heard that. Have you not heard that? No, but it Good. sounds like a, a great resource for organizations, uh, teachers out there who are, who are involved with you know our children coming through that school system and sharing these uh new gender new new pronouns that that would be a great resource for them yes a vast majority of people so i also do workshops um and the vast majority of people that i speak to in my workshops are school districts that have hired me to talk with their their staff their educators their professional staff um yeah and there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in the U.S. right now in the school districts, as I'm sure you know. Um, I'm feel I'm very fortunate that I live in New York State, so you know when I'm helping teachers in New York State, we've got some very specific guidelines around uh, transgender student inclusion. Thankfully, um, the state really has the teachers' backs um, mm. when it comes to correct, you know, proper pronoun use and things like that. But I. I just feel terrible for some of the teachers in Florida, for example, who, you know, aren't allowed to say the word gay in the classroom and other That's horrible true. things like that. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I, I guess, you know, people listening to the, this podcast are tuning in from all over the world. So where, where for me anyway, in the UK, it, is, it feels very different to what's going on in the States. And I'd be really curious to find out what challenges you've come across and the work that you're doing? I think the biggest challenge for me, honestly, is when teachers ask me, you know, what, 
what can I do to create more inclusive classrooms when they're in a situation where they don't feel safe? They feel like it's a huge risk for them to talk about, you know, same sex, you know, talk about families, same sex families, which you know, personally, I think this stuff should be in the curriculum from day one. You know, if we normalize two women, two mommies and two daddies, um, you know, in kindergarten, we're, you know, we're creating a culture where we're just going to get rid of any kind of bullying, teasing it just becomes normal, it becomes accepted. Um, I'm, I'm always and I, and I think it does more than just if we look at like, what's a family, um, it does more than just help the the kid that's got two moms or two dads at home, but also the kid who's being raised by a grandparent or a kid who's in a foster family or has a single parent, you know, like how many kids these days really are being raised by mom and dad with the white picket fence, you know, like, let's really talk about what makes a family and what makes love. And that, that I think is so critical. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion over what people are going to be talking about when they um, include LGBTQ plus people and families in the curriculum, their heads automatically go to sex. They think we're going to be talking <laughs> about sex. I'm like, no, uh, we're not. That's not appropriate. Um, so yeah, so all of that. But I think getting back to your question, I think what's difficult for me is to sit in my office here and do workshops for teachers who are in these horrible situations and even attempt to, you know, I don't even attempt to tell them what to do. I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so torn. It's like, I want them to do these things for the LGBTQ plus students in their class and the, and the kids that have LGBTQ plus family members. And yet I'm like, who am I to, yeah, I'm like, don't, don't risk your career. So it's, it's this huge mixed message. You know, this person has to stay safe. This person has mm. to make sure that they have a job the next day. Um, and so it's, it's, and I, and my, my knowledge of sort of what's allowed, the, the, the minutia of what's allowed and what's not, I just, I'm just, and it's always changing too. So that, that's been a huge challenge for me. Um, it feels very comfortable for me to sit back and say, here are all these great things that you can do to create an inclusive classroom. But I know that that's not the reality for people. And I know that's not what they can do. And I, um, I just feel, I feel terrible. It's a, it's a huge problem right now. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of pressure on educators yeah. uh, depending on what state they're from and what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say I can't imagine what that would feel like to be yeah. there and I'd say even in New York State what I often see is even though the state has these guidelines they're not actually law yet so it gets a little tricky I know that there are even you know educators in New York State who are saying I, this feels too risky? I don't think the administration is going to have my back if if there's parent pushback. So it's not like it's all roses here in New York State either. I think there's just a lot of uncertainty, and um, it's yeah, it's it's frightening. I, I just I can't believe I'm we're here. I can't believe when I think back about one of the things that motivated me to get involved was um, besides the book that I read that I talked about at the beginning of the podcast. You know, watching my own children go to school in elementary school, come back, tell me what's being said and what the kids are being teased about. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I, I somehow was so sure we were going to get past this. It, it was like, it's exactly the same as what the kids were teasing about boys calling each other gay. Cause they wore a pink shirt. I'm like, this is what was happening when I was a kid. How, yeah. how have we not moved past this? this yeah, exactly. You know, why have we not moved on? But I guess, you know, changing culture can take a long, long time, especially when we're talking about minority groups, you know, and people have these ideas and around myth, the myths 
of what being LGBTQ plus actually means, you know, and there's so much fear around it that people, I think in today's age, are just really scared to say what they think because they feel that if they voice their opinions, then they will just be shut down. And I think that then creates creates a culture that's not authentic, that's not yeah. open and honest. Yeah, I, I, I think about, I, I, along those lines, I hear a lot of people say like, I don't understand how like orientation, for example, like what that has to do with school or work, just leave that at home. Mm-hmm. That's not something that people should bring into the workplace. And I'm like, that's like, that's like saying, you know, can you leave the fact that you're Jewish at home? That doesn't have anything to do with work or, you know, I know you're hard of hearing, but can you just leave that part of yourself at home? It's like, you can't leave the fact that you're hard of hearing or Jewish or gay at home. It comes with you everywhere. All you can do is hide that if you feel unsafe. Mm. And that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And that's, you know, I mean, it's studies have shown that when you have to hide who you are at work, meaning you know, someone just asks you a simple question, like what you did over the weekend. And now you're having to like switch pronouns because you don't want to, you know, you don't feel safe sharing that your partner is, you know, a woman or whatever. Um, It takes away from your, your productivity at work. It takes away from your ability to, to, you know, make connections with your coworkers. I mean, there's, there's so many things that will, that, that are um, negative if you end up doing that. And I just, so I'd like to sort of use those examples, actually use those examples throughout my book. I think examples really help people understand concepts. But, you know, when I say that, like, oh, just leave the fact that you're Jewish at home, people are like, oh, <laughs> right, you can't do that. I'm like, guess what? You can't leave the fact that you're a lesbian at home either. Yeah. You're still a lesbian at work, even if you're messing with pronouns when you talk about what you did over the weekend. <laughs> That is just so true, isn't it? It's yeah, it's it's just really scary. It really is that we talk, or at, at least the world is talking at the moment so much about authenticity and being authentic and being able to be with authentic selves, you know. And people struggle with that for that reason because they're saying, "Well, if I go into work as me, then I'm probably going to lose my job." If I, te- if I tell my friends who I really am, then I'll lose friends or whatever it is that's important to that individual person. Yeah. And I think as allies, if those of you who are listening in and wondering like, what, you know, what can I do as an ally? Well, obviously read my book. Yeah, <laughs> Let's obviously. <start> there. <laughs> but, you know, when we think about that, the fact that, you know, one person coming to work or one you know, family signing up for a school district for their young child, you know, if they're feeling vulnerable and at risk, let's not make those folks also be the people who have to say, hey, by the way, your form is really non-inclusive. You know, your your school form says has a space for mom and dad. Well, you know, or mother and father, and that's not our family unit. As allies, let's notice that stuff and step up to the plate because we're not at risk, right? No one's going to discriminate against us if we're straight and we're saying, hey, by the way, I noticed these forms could be more inclusive. How about if we just, you know, say parent parent guardian and just have, you know, two or dare I say it, even three lines in case your family unit is more than two, um, but really be be the ones that are stepping up and advocating. It's very low risk for us. And it's, a, it's just a huge place where allies can step up and start making change um, in a way that will help our LGBTQ plus friends who may be feeling a little too vulnerable to do that. 
Sure. Uh, while you were talking there, Janie, I mean, the word that was just jumping around in my head was stressful. So I'm sorry, say that again? The word that was jumbling about in my head was stressful. Oh, stressful, that yes. Stressful for so many people. How can those people make sure they're taking care of themselves? Mm. Yeah, so I mean, again, in my book, I focus on sort of ally, ally self-care, um, but I think that, you know, some of my, some of my favorite self-care tips in general are, um, to just like be on your own team for one thing. And what I mean by that is, um, yeah, I'm sure you've probably heard this, but I, I tend to do this. I'm very hard on myself and I'm, you know, I'm so forgiving of like other people and, but somehow I'm so hard on myself, but doing that, you know, sort of thinking about how you would advise a best friend, turning that on yourself, you know, I find that very, very helpful, um, you know, find ways that I, I think actually I'm, it's funny, I'm, I'm doing a little, a little, um, advertisement here for the, we can do hard things podcast, but I, I think Glennon Doyle is brilliant. And she actually, um, someone once asked her, like, how do you not quit, you know, with all, all the stressors and the, just the world's problems. And she said, Oh, I do. I quit every day. Um, <laughs> she's like, I get to the end of the day and I'm done. And I'm like, I, I quit. And I, I feel that so strongly. I feel like I get to the point where I'm like, I'm shutting down work. I'm allowing myself to not even think about it. I'm going into my own thing, whatever that is. I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to read a book. Um, and then I wake up and I'm like a new person. I'm completely refreshed. So um, again, as I was, I'm sorry, I sort of switched this over to ally because that's my my superpower. But <laughs> But I think this is true for anybody, right? Like just forgive yourself if you get to the end of the day and you need to take care of yourself. Let that stuff go. You know, we're, we're mostly fresher in the morning. Um, I find myself to be a much better ally at, at seven in the morning than at, you know, 10 o'clock at night. Um, and I think that's, I think that's fair. And that's one way that, that I think allies can also take care of themselves. Um, just, mm. You know, just sort of don't let the fact that you can't do everything, you know, affect your doing anything at all. Um but I, yeah. I also have just some of my favorite uh, tips in the in the back of my book on self-care. I mean, self-care, I think you can Google that now. And there's all sorts of lovely things that you can do that don't necessarily involve, you know, spending money at a spa. <laughs> but take self-care seriously. I mean, this is, you know, this mm. is truly this is how we this is how we keep going, um, you know, rather than than burning out. And, yeah, and be, being, being aware when those energy points are highest for us during the day as well. So what about those difficult conversations, Janie? How can people, I guess, navigate navigate through those? Yeah, Um. so I, as I mentioned, I've got a whole chapter called Good Talk. And mm -hmm. I do like to keep and let people know that there's no magic here. Meaning if you're, if you have someone who you're trying to speak with and they have, you know, a 10 foot wall around them and they are yelling at you and their ears are completely shut down to what you have to say, that's not a conversation. <laughs> mm. Like I would just walk away from that. That's not what I'm talking about. That That's an impossible situation. What I'm talking about is someone who, maybe has a small wall up. So someone who thinks differently than you do, maybe they're a little hesitant to talk with you because they know you think differently. And so, so what are some ways that we can have really, really kind and respectful conversations with people who think differently than we do in a way that's gonna open their ears up, in a way that's gonna help them feel safe to and vulnerable to say what they think. So that's really what that chapter is about. And um, I have, I think I have 10 tips for folks there, but I'll share a few of my favorites. 
Um, one of my all-time favorite is starting with start with a connecting statement. So if you are, I, this is what if you were to make an intervention, like let's say you're at work, someone uses like an ouchy word that you know is outdated, um, and you want to pull them aside and just give them a little bit of a heads up on, hey, you know this um, this word's a little outdated. This one's better, a better choice. I always start with a connecting statement, um, meaning. I think that whenever you're doing an intervention like that, you know, I have education to give you, there's a power dynamic there. And you're, you're up here as the educator and this person's down here as the learner. And that gets complicated and hard for people to not get defensive. So if you can get rid of that power dynamic, that's fantastic. And one of the ways that you can do that is with connecting statements. I like to say that if you ever messed up in the same way, now's a great time to bring it up. So if, for example, you used to use that same word, start with that, please. Just start by saying, you know what? I used to use that word all the time, right? And here's what I learned. Now you're completely on their level. It's like you're on their team and you're just, you know, sort of having a, a conversation about how, you know, how to move forward or things that you've learned that, you know, will help them, but you're you're at the same level as them. If you've never messed up in the same way, you've never used that word, you can still start with a connecting statement by saying something like, I know this stuff is so confusing. Things are constantly changing. It's really hard to keep up. Again, that will make sure that person realizes that you're on their, you're on their team. Um, you're not above them in some way. So those connecting statements are absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. um, assume goodwill. I know people have probably heard that one. I actually think it gets misapplied often. Um, it has a bad reputation, assume goodwill. Um, people somehow think that assume goodwill means, you know, um, oh, that person didn't mean it that way. So let's just let it go. And that's not really how assume goodwill should happen. Assume goodwill doesn't, shouldn't um, take the place of the conversation. It should set the tone for the conversation. So just that assumption of like, this person probably didn't mean to be hurtful. They probably just didn't get the memo. Um, having that idea in your head um, is a very, very uh, kind way to start a conversation. Um, and I'll just share one more that I consider like a, a pre-step before you go into the good talk um, or the intervention, if that's what it is, to think about um, a time when you've been in the hot seat or someone has brought to you something that you have messed up over, you know, what are ways that they've done that, that have really, um, made you feel comfortable, made your, you know, open your ears rather than make you defensive. And we probably all know this stuff, right? You like, you yell at someone or you label them homophobic or racist, or you call them out on social media. These things are going to immediately make the person become defensive and shut them down to the conversation, um, you know, but letting the person know that, um, you know, you, your relationship is important. That's why they're bringing this up. They, they, they know you're the kind of person who, you know, is interested in using the most inclusive language. And so this is a way of sort of, you know, helping you along with something that they have confidence that you, you know, want to know already, um, using those connecting statements, um, you know, all those things are things that will um, help move forward. So it's just sort of thinking about how would I want to be treated if this person were bringing an intervention to me can be really helpful. Yeah, that is such great advice. Yeah, I really, really love that, Jeannie. So if we were to end this conversation right now, what will we have missed? What will we have missed? What, oh what would we have missed? Yeah. Um, I think there, I think in my sustainability section, I talk a little bit about backlash against allies. Um, and I think that's important to be aware of. There is definitely some backlash against allies. Um, 
And I think that sort of understanding where that comes from is important and being aware of sort of how to not get into traps. Um, yeah, I think bad allyship is like speaking over community members rather than when you're in LGBTQ plus spaces, allies really should be allowing community members <laughs> to figure out and share, you know, what change should look like. So we should not be sort of speaking over. Um, and I think that's partly why allies get a sort of a bad reputation or, you know, they just put an ally pin on their shirt and they're like, they consider themselves an ally, but they're not really doing any action. I think that's also a, a bad ally reputation. So I think it's really important for allies to be aware that um, sometimes people actually kind of turn their noses up at the word ally. I'm not sure if this is happening over in the, in the UK, but in the US, there's been this movement, this shift from the word ally to, you know, advocate, accomplice. There's all these new words that either imply a different um, a different word altogether, a different, you know, or, or a different level of allyship. And and honestly, I can't keep up. I, I, I can't, I'm trying to read up on what they all mean. And I'm like, it just keeps to me coming back to the same thing, which is that um, we, we don't, I think we don't need a new word for ally. We just need to be doing allyship well. <laughs> so I think just being aware that, you know, there is backlash against ally, understanding where that backlash comes from. And again, that's something that I talk about in my book so that we can move forward and just not sort of stumble in those same areas. Fantastic. And I think that your book will continue to be a success. But if you had one message for our listeners, Jeannie, what would that be? Don't be afraid of messing up because it's going to happen. Happens to us all. <laughs> Great advice again. Um, so if our listeners want to get in touch with you, Jeannie, directly, how can they do that? Yeah, so my small business is called Savvy Ally Action and my website is SavvyAllyAction.com. Uh, folks can uh, take a look at, they can order my book there. They can see, I also create little, little videos every month. I, I launch little videos with ally tips. A lot of those are on my website. Um, I've got free goodies there, free handouts, and folks can also message me directly if they have any questions or if they want to schedule a workshop. Yeah. And I'm sure that they will be in touch, but I just thank love you. to thank you for coming on Jeannie and sharing all that knowledge that you've got. Uh, and I'm sure listeners will just go straight to the book to find out so much more about it. But thank you. This was super fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. <laughs> and I'd also love to thank all the listeners and tune in next Monday for the next episode of Let's Talk All Things LGBTQ+. Thank you.